Good morning, good morning, good morning, and good morning to you too. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall and WBAI 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. We're going to be talking about voting rights today and voting rights in Texas as well as New York State. You know that my book, The Voting Rights War, is about not just the history of the undermining of the right to vote that all citizens in the United States are supposed to have, but also about the obstacles and suppression of votes, suppression of communities, and of course, the idea, if your vote is your voice, then why are attempts made constantly for centuries to silence particular communities. Where are we going with the vote? But right now, many of you have followed the fact that Texas had a walkout of Democrats, and I met someone, and that person is going to be here. This person is on the ground in Texas, and he's going to tell us what is going on with Texas and voting rights. And before we get to that, uh, I always love watching the Olympics. Even as a little kid, I just was fascinated by the fact that all these people from all these countries, I could see the different flags. And, and that was back when it wasn't so Americanized that we only looked at our people and our athletes. We used to actually cover everyone or try to get beyond just our athletes. But uh, I, I just, I, I like internationalism. I like diversity. And the, the idea of champions competing for something, spending so much time in a particular area of expertise and then competing with other people around the world. And then with a the pandemic and still competing and not having their friends and loved ones to be there to cheer them on. There's so much going on here in this Olympics that it just draws my attention We've heard that Simone Biles may participate. Maybe she did. They said at four o'clock this morning she participated. Don't tell me what happened. Please don't call and tell me what I see for myself. Uh, but, but there's so much going on. But I have to mention, what is up with this beach volleyball? I mean, it, am I the only one? Why are these women in bikinis? On I, I don't get this. So we have beach volleyball where people are on sand that's imported in, laid out to create a beach, and they are in the skimpiest bikinis ever with their sunglasses, playing volleyball outside, and then you have volleyball indoors where women as well as the men wear short pants and a shirt and or meaning clothes, and I don't, I don't get this. I really, I don't understand this. I think, are we really in the 21st century still doing this? Are we, is this really the way that we're um, going to display women? Uh, are, it, it, can it be an option that the women wear short pants? I was told that one woman wanted to wear short pants and it's against the rules to do anything but wear a bikini because it's bikini volleyball. I, I, I don't get this. So I, I hope other people may be able to figure that one out. I don't know. Um, hmm. Anyway, um, COVID, I want to very quickly discuss COVID because here we are having the Olympics. 
there's been a surge, not just uh, in the United States, but around the, the world. And there's been a surge in Japan. And there were people protesting the Olympics in Tokyo because they did not want people bringing their germs into Japan, causing an uptick. Well, that has happened. We don't know if it's because of the people traveling to the Olympics. There have been a few athletes, relatively few who have tested positive for COVID. Um, that's, that's been a very interesting phenomenon with the Delta variant and other variants that are taking place and, and taking hold around the world. We have over 613,000 deaths from COVID um, in the United States. I believe that number is so artificially low. Given the fact, as you know, that, you know, there are people who are, you know, losing their lives to COVID indirectly after the fact. I know of people who have had respiratory issues that later on led to their deaths. Um, we also know that in our incarcerated communities and communities of homelessness and others that, that we are not keeping track of COVID-related deaths. So 613,000 is the number we have right now. 500. 53,281 in New York state, two point, and that, that's the, that's the number of deaths in New York state, 53,000, over 53,000 with 2.15 million cases. And I'm taking this from the New York times. So we're up over 2000 cases in one day. Um, and so there, there is going to be a continued uptick with this Delta variant and what they've said, and I, I'm not an expert in this at all, is that in August of 2020, August of last year, the number of cases was, you know, were, were going down. And now in August of 2021, the number of cases are going up. But then of course, the difference is that, you know, we, we had so many more people who were in, in, in the throes of not knowing what else they could do. Uh, in that time period, there was no real thing outside of social distancing and the mask. We didn't have a vaccination of, of any kind where people were just trying to stay in their homes, hunkered down, trying the best they could to keep away from the disease. Now they're saying that it's more virulent than uh and smallpox, um, which, uh, you know, once again, I, I didn't think Dr. Fauci should have told people to take their masks off in the first place in public places. And now they're saying in um, public places, as well as indoors, even vaccinated people should keep their mask on. And very quickly, I'm going to just turn to um, a few things that I think are so important for us to know. And that is that... Um, as we continue to work that we need to understand to stay alive during this time period means that we must, we must, we must continue to wear a mask. Let's get into voting rights because um, as we go into, in New York State, as well as so many other places, um, where voting rights has been uh, a political football or a means to undermine the progress, economic 
political, social, educational of so many other groups. We need to know what is going on. We're going to talk to an expert who's on the ground in Texas. We're going to figure out what we can do as New Yorkers to help them in Texas. That's going to be a question that I ask at the end of this interview, but I'll get to this interview. We're, we have a jam-packed show. I, I want to make sure that we touch on all these in, in, in enough time, that WBAI type interview where we are not jumping within two minutes with an expert. We're going to try to delve deep in this and I'll be right back after this musical break, but I want you to know, I want you to stay tuned. Texas is going through it right now, and we need to pay attention. We need to know what's going on down there. And there are a lot of Texans who live here in New York State and in the tri-state area. We need to understand what's going on across the country with voting rights because they're laying the foundation for what's going to be a, a coup in many ways. And one is little by little undermining the political power of those who showed that they could come together in 2020 to change the outcome of an election. And there are people in positions of power to want to make sure that never happens again. We'll be right back. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Oh, wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children, to jump the very best you can. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. Change it now, just you and me. Wake up all the doctors, make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer and who catch all the hell. But they don't have so very long before their judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? It's time to build a new land I know we could do it If we all lend a hand The only thing we have to do Is put it in our minds Surely things will work out They do it every time We are going to talk about voting rights in Texas and with us is a person who's on the ground, an expert in the area, Charlie Bonner. And Charlie Bonner is a Texan, <laughs> generation after generation. He knows this information and he also knows the people. He knows the players, he knows the stakeholders and what is at stake. Good morning, Charlie Bonner. Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I'm glad. You know, you and I both met at the Aspen Institute in Aspen, Colorado, talking about major issues and also getting to know one another. And I have such a great respect for you. And when you told me that you were working with voting rights in Texas, I said, oh, my goodness, I must have him on my show. Please explain <laughs> to us up in the Northeast what is going on with Texas and voting rights. The Democrats walked out. There is a special session. I don't understand it. Could you please just start from the beginning and let us better understand what's going on there and how we can help? Absolutely, absolutely. And we're at a really critical inflection point here in Texas right now. We're in the first special meeting of the legislative session. It has about uh, a week left. It ends on Friday. Um, and it is the reason that Democrats have left the state. They have left uh, because there are search warrants out for them if they are within state lines right now, uh, and they would be arrested and taken back to the Capitol and forced to vote on these voter suppression bills that we see moving through the Texas legislature. And so this is a, a wild week in Texas politics as we see this special session come to a close. But I think you're right. We have to start from the beginning here. And I want to take us back to February of, of this year. Um, when the lights went out in Texas, uh, February 13th, there was a massive storm that moved through Texas and millions of Texans lost power. Nearly a thousand Texans died because of the government's failure to keep the lights on. Uh, I personally had to stay with a friend for a week because my apartment has so little insulation that a day into the freeze, there was ice inside the windows. And, mm. it, and I say this because the legislature was in session in February. And at this critical moment, we thought, maybe naively, that the thing that our lawmakers would focus on was fixing the grid and addressing the COVID crisis that had killed thousands of Texans. Unfortunately, we were wrong. <laughs> Instead, what we saw was partisan banter, uh, fuel for a Republican primary campaign, and voter suppression efforts taking center stage in that moment. So we moved forward to March, the, the very last bit of the bill filing deadline in Texas, in two large, omnibus, big, bad anti-voter bills are filed. Now, while we are really laser focused on what's happening in Texas, the eyes of the country were over with our friends in Georgia who were experiencing a similar fight. And what we saw was these anti-voter lawmakers in Texas were attempting to slip through these pieces of legislation, essentially under the cover of night, while all eyes were on what was happening in Georgia. They were attempting to move so quickly that they could not build the opposition that we saw from business leaders, from Americans across the country speaking out against what was happening in Georgia. They were trying to do everything they could to avoid what was happening there. And we were able to raise so much noise in those first days that it slowed down the process. We weren't positive that we would be able to stop these pieces of anti-voter legislation, but we knew that we could slow them down. And, and that meant more opportunity for folks to speak out, more opportunities to amend bad things out of bills. And so we kept showing up, and then business leaders are speaking out. We have artists and musicians speaking out, folks who have never gotten involved in the process before, and were able to delay and delay and delay these pieces of legislation. 
up right until the end of the legislative session, which is May 31st. In Texas, they meet in the legislature for 140 days every two years, which is no days, <laughs> approximately. Uh, it's constitutionally designed not to operate and not to pass anything. Uh, so we get to that very last day in this omnibus anti-voter bill. It's still not passed, despite being a major priority of Governor Greg Abbott and the Republican-controlled House and Senate. This was their big piece of legislation that they had committed to passing, and it gets to the last day, and they haven't taken action on it. And in those final hours after the pro-voter lawmakers are able to delay, they walk out of the floor denying quorum to the Texas House of Representatives, meaning that they don't have enough folks there to actually constitutionally hold a vote. They walk out with about two hours left on the clock, killing all the pieces of legislation by running them out against that clock. So they are able to kill that piece of anti-voter legislation the first time. This is back in May. So how are we still here, I guess is the question. How is this fight still going on? Uh, immediately after the governor takes two actions, uh, he commits immediately to calling a special legislative session, which only he as the governor has the power to do. And as governor, he gets to decide every piece of legislation that is on the agenda for that. And nothing can pass that is not part of the governor's agenda. So this is a really, a really strong time for him. He has a lot of power in this moment. So he calls that special session. And he also announces that he is vetoing Article 10 of the Texas budget. With Article 10 funds the legislature. So the governor, in an act of retaliation, a very childish and uncalculated move, defunds a co-equal branch of government because they will not bend to his will to pass voter suppression legislation. Uh, what we are hearing, seeing are acts of tyranny. This is not something we see in a democracy. And, and so in this moment, as we are running out this special session clock, that budget has still not been passed. Um, so in a matter of weeks, the funding for the legislature will run out. And that does not mean that our lawmakers will stop receiving their stipends, um, which are constitutionally protected, but it is an attack on more than 2,000 state employees who work in the offices at the Capitol, who write bills in the Capitol, but also the cafeteria workers who prepare our food when we're visiting, the folks who are in the custodian offices keeping that place clean. All of those folks are about to lose paychecks as a casualty of a voter suppression war that is happening in Texas that we see in these final days. Uh, and so that brings us to now, these couple of days left, we're going to see what happens. Um, it looks as if the Democrats have committed to staying out of the state until after this session has ended, uh, which would once again kill all the pieces of legislation that are being considered. Uh, the governor has then committed to calling another special session and has vowed to keep calling them every 30 days until the next election unless they pass his voter suppression um, priorities. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting and uh, honestly sad time uh, for those who care about our democracy here in Texas. Wow, this um, conversation I'm having with Charlie Bonner, 
who is a communications director. And, and as you have surely shown to this morning to communicate all the complexities going on in Texas, you're great in your job. Move Texas Civic Fund, as well as Move Texas Action Fund. You've worked as communications director for um, state politicians and Move Texas is a nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to empowering young people in civic life and turning down barriers to the ballot box. What are some of the barriers in this proposed legislation? What what makes it a suppression bill? Absolutely. And I think it's important to also give you the context of where we are in Texas already. Last year, a report came out that Texas ranks as the most difficult and the most expensive state in the nation to cast a ballot. Uh, and that is because of archaic voter registration laws, because of erroneous voter ID laws, a whole network of years that have been spent, uh, a web of voter suppression laws that already exist. So that, that's the background of what we're dealing with. And then we get to the pieces of legislation now. And I want to take us back a little bit again to those, some of those original pieces, because there are parts that have been amended out. Some of the worst parts of these bills have been amended out because so many people showed up and shared their stories and talked about the impact of voter suppression. So some of the things that we saw at the beginning being um, proposed, and even in the final hours, uh, there were measures that were going to standardize how many polling locations you could have in a community that we saw were going to immediately close polling locations in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods. Texas, unfortunately, already leads the country in the closure of polling locations since the Shelby v. Holder court decision um, that got rid of that federal pre-clearance. Uh, we've already seen massive amounts of these polling locations closed. That was of grave concern to us. There's also a lot in these bills still about the expansion of powers for partisan poll watchers, which we know are folks who are appointed by campaigns or political parties to go into a polling location on behalf of those campaigns and observe what is going on. Um, but what we have seen is that they are a right place for voter intimidation, uh, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods. There is leaked video that came out in the middle of this fight during the legislative session that showed the presentations that they give at these Republican uh, poll watcher trainings uh, that talk about creating a mass army of folks to go in and bravely go into these black and brown neighborhoods and stand up for their right to vote. Uh, it is really scary and chilling things that we see in Texas, unfortunately, has a long, ugly and racist history of voter intimidation. And so expanding powers for these folks just we know is going to have dramatic effect on voters. There's also efforts to make it where election judges, those that run those polling locations, wouldn't be able to eject a partisan poll watcher, even if they were disrupting what was happening, even if they were intimidating, even if they committed a crime in the polling location, the election judge would not be able to push them out. We did get those bills amended now that it is a now they've worked them down to a one strike policy. You you can uh, commit one crime as a poll mm -hmm. watcher in Texas before they are actually allowed to kick you out. So we know that this is all part of an elaborate scheme, unfortunately, largely based in conspiracy theories around the 2020 election. This has very little to do with actual policy. 
And it seems as though um, having been in the Supreme Court in that fateful June 2013 day in which the U.S. Supreme Court in a case that was written by Chief Justice Roberts in Shelby County versus Holder gutted the preclearance clause of the Voting Rights Act that required either a federal three-judge court or the U.S. Attorney General to pre-clear provisions of a proposed voting legislation to make sure that it did not have racial injustice or, or discriminatory implications. We have within days after that, um, seen that Texas, North Carolina, and other states create, um, this, this havoc and the voter suppression. And so from 2013 going forward, it seems as though it's gained speed. I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, we immediately saw passage of more stringent voter ID laws. We've seen attempted voter purges happen from the governor's office and secretary of state taking naturalized citizens off the rolls. There was another attempt to close more polling locations last legislative session to limit the ability for folks to give other people rides to the polls. That was a provision uh, under both the consideration this year and in the last legislative session. They're trying to nip and tuck our election laws to pick and choose their voters. Uh, they, the best example we have of this is the Texas voter ID law. Uh, we live in a state where you can use your gun license as an approved voter ID, but you can't use your government-issued student ID from a public university. It's very clear how they choose who they'd like to show up, who they'd like to tear down barriers for to the ballot, and who they keep putting up these intentional barriers to silence the voices of black and brown voters, indigenous new Americans, um, and young voters, which is of particular concern to move Texas as we work to build up this new generation. I'm speaking with Charlie Bonner, who's on the ground in Texas, and we've had the Democrats walk out. Where are they right now? I mean, how many people are we talking about walking out of the, of the Texas state legislature to prevent a quorum and therefore undermine the ability of this passage of voter suppression bills that are on the table? Yeah. So this legislative session started, and again, uh, the, a special legislative session lasted about 30 days, and they were trying to move through in passage of these voter suppression bills as fast as possible. So that very first weekend of this special session, they have hearings on the new pieces of voter suppression legislation. The hearing lasts 24 straight hours. Hmm. Uh, and many of us show up and stay for the entire night. There are more than 400 Texans voters show up to testify on these pieces of legislation. Uh, more than 400 in opposition with only 25 people showing up to speak in support of these voter suppression measures. We know that the vast majority of Texans do not support these racist voter suppression efforts. We, we very much support the freedom to vote here in Texas. And those are the stories you heard that night. Um, story after story, I testified with several young advocates at about 6.30 in the morning after having gotten there at 7.30 in the morning the day before. Um, we were just glad we could get the sentences out at that point. Uh, but the hearing ended, and many uh, amendments were suggested by our Democratic uh, pro-voter champions that would have reduced the harm of this legislation and, and sought to decrease the discriminatory impact of what was happening. And every single one of those amendments was voted down on party lines. 
even after 24 straight hours of hearings where Texans were just begging their lawmakers not to do this, that we deserve better. And so the and very so, next day... Oh, no, I, 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 just, I want you to finish, yeah. but I, I also want to talk about where the, those Democrats are right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they broke quorum the very next day. And um, that, that hearing is really what pushed them. They saw that there was not going to be any good faith negotiation on what was happening if they weren't going to accept those amendments. And so Democrats decided to break quorum, meaning a, a, a majority of them, a vast majority of them, more than 50 lawmakers, um, had to leave state lines to do that. And so where they have actually gone is to D.C. They have taken this state fight to the federal government, to Congress, and are advocating for federal protection, uh, like the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would re-strengthen what was weakened in that Shelby v. Holder case, as you mentioned. Um, they have been up there advocating every single day, making sure that those in D.C. know the real ramifications of what is happening. This is not some partisan fight that is just for TV, right? Re- real people are being hurt by this fight. Real people are being disenfranchised by this fight. So they went to D.C. to share those stories of those of us who testified, of those voters who showed up and made their voices heard. And what awaits them when they return to Texas? That's a, that's a great question. You know, and I first, I think we've seen broad support for our lawmakers. And I think people are really getting engaged in this fight for the first time. And I think what we're going to see is similar to what we've seen in Georgia, that voter suppression and attempts to silence voices becomes a motivating factor for people to be involved for the very first time, to maybe register to vote for the first time or get a friend involved. I think we're going to see a real motivating factor. But as far as legislation occurs, there will be another special session. And and again, the governor has vowed to keep calling these special sessions. Um, until they are passed. It is our hope that in the next special session, the first thing that they do is fund the legislature um, that so these folks can get paid, these hardworking public servants. Um, and then we also hope to see real action uh, on COVID-19 and on the grid, these things that really are affecting Texans every single day, that people are dying right now in Texas, and the governor is turning a blind eye to it. He would rather pass voter suppression legislation than put forward a mask mandate that would save lives in this state, particularly for young people going back to school. Uh, So what we're seeing is inconscionable right now, but we're going to keep pushing and demanding better. Well, I remember my heart was broken by um, those people who lost their lives, especially a little boy who froze to death in a trailer in Texas while, you know, your senator was in Mexico because his daughter wanted him to go there. That's a uh, part of what we don't seem to, I guess, understand on the, maybe in the Northeast. And I'm not one of these anti-South people. I don't believe in this regionalism. And I don't think that the (laughs) arrogance of the Northeast um, is helping the situation when it comes to understanding what's going on in the rest of the, the country. But I do want to ask, how can our region help? What can people in our tri-state area do? What can New Yorkers do to help Texas? Well, the single largest 
and most impactful thing that we could do right now is pass the For the People Act. It is absolutely critical that we have these federal protections because we know they worked for generations to prevent racial discrimination against voters. We know that they worked, and that is why they tried so hard to gut it. We have an opportunity now to put the teeth back in the Voting Rights Act, and we need it desperately. So one of the biggest things that we can do, regardless of where you live, is call your senators and demand that they take action to protect our freedom to vote. That's something each and every one of us can do, because we know this is not a Texas problem. Yes, Texas is ground zero in the fight for the freedom to vote, but we know this is so much larger. This, there is a coordinated national attack taking place right now where we see these pieces of legislation being shopped from state house to state house to nick and tuck our election laws in a cynical attempt at holding on to power. So it's imperative for all of us to be paying attention, to be speaking out, to be calling our senators and our members of Congress in demanding action in this moment. Thank you, Charlie Bonner. I hope you will come back to continue to explain and help us to uh, uh, figure out how we can all play a role in ensuring that voting rights are, will not be something that's an issue of suppression forever. But I believe there's a voting rights war. That's the title of my book on it, The Voting Rights War. And I believe that you have the ability to help us better understand what role we can play in that battle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. We're going to have this musical break and then get back to uh, voting rights. But New York State and what's going on in voting rights. So, but we want Texas to know you have a friend. And so listen to this.
And that was Carol King, You've Got a Friend. And before, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass, Wake Up Everybody. We're talking about voting rights and we are um, wanting to make sure you understand in order for WBAI to do all that it does, we need you and we need you to support this program and if you would be a WBAI buddy and tell them that you're doing it to support Law of the Land, I would truly appreciate it. Let them know that my hard work is making you want to stay tuned into this station. Uh, they always want to say that um, we know what is going on based on what our listeners are saying and you know I think I have the smartest listeners in, of all the different programs and voting rights is just at the heart of what we can do in our society to make change. Is it the end all be all? No, but it's, it's essential to what we can do, each one of us, to make our communities a better place. So right now, we're going to move from Texas to New York State. And I have with me Jared Berg, who is an expert on New York State voting rights. And he's going to give us some insights on what our struggle is here on the ground. Good morning, Jared. Good to be with you, Gloria. Hope you can hear me okay. Yeah. Yes, I can. So we were talking about voting rights in Texas and that struggle, but what's going on here in New York State? So as you know, New York is in the process of modernizing its election law. Um, and like we see around the country, uh, the election law is in flux. There's been some positive change recently, uh, much of which is in response to the pandemic and some of the expansion of absentee balloting we've seen. Uh, but there's also some changes that uh, raise hurdles and make it uh, more challenging for New York voters. 
so we, we the struggle is uh, is alive and well in New York. It might be to a different degree, um, but New York uh, is a state along with others that are looking at rules uh, to make voting more accessible, but also that raise hurdles as well. Well, let's look at uh, a few of those issues that are before us. Uh, there's something called the wrong church. What is that issue? So this is actually, um, it is the largest source of, uh, of disqualified votes coming out of election 2020 uh, that were cast by registered voters. Um, and so the wrong church rule, it's actually very similar to the rule in Arizona uh, that was reinstated by the Supreme Court last month. Uh, in um, the, uh, the Fitch versus yes those versus rules. Democratic National uh, Committee. Basically, um, what what happens is in New York, voters who vote in person uh, on election day and in New York City during early voting, they're assigned to one site. And we have a rule that requires uh, that any ballot that that if a voter appear, appears at any site other than the one they're assigned, their entire ballot is void. And that's been on the books. Uh, for some time, uh, going back a couple a couple decades. Um, we also have a rule that requires poll workers to redirect voters to the correct site if they happen to show up at an incorrect site. Um, but uh, we did a, a, a statewide uh, uh, freedom of information request last year uh, and put out a report in May that showed that over 13,800 voters, all of whom we believe were registered, and then showed up and cast an affidavit ballot, a provisional ballot in person, uh, had their entire ballot void uh, as a result, just because they were standing in the wrong place. And now I want to stop for a moment, because I, I'm going to tell you, in, in my building, I actually vote in my building, in my lobby, and that's the way it's been all the time I've, I've lived there. And yet we have different districts, different polling places within, or I would say different places in which to vote within the lobby. And it's very confusing. And you, one can be in a line and think you're in the correct line because that's the line I was in last time I voted. And yet I would see, and, and people might think, I don't understand how somebody could be voting in the wrong place. But if, if these are shifted around or if someone is voting at their neighborhood school one time and then the next time they're, they're voting somewhere else, we can see how there can be confusion. And what you're saying saying is after standing in line and trying to do your civic duty to vote, you you hand them your ballot and then they find later that you actually handed the wrong person that ballot, that you're in the wrong polling place. That ballot now is no longer counted. That's right. And, uh, you know, other states have, have, have some states have a safeguard in place that addresses this thing. Um, but I think uh, that what, what makes this so unjust is voters don't run poll sites. So when a voter shows up, uh, they think they're in the right place. And when they get to the front of the line, the poll worker is supposed to look them up and before handing them a ballot, redirect them if they happen to be uh, in the wrong place. And so this is only the population of people, because if those folks are redirected, then they're not standing in the wrong place casting a ballot. This is only the population of people who are then handed an affidavit ballot and told, fill this out. And they believe they're being helped by a poll worker who we believe thinks they're being helpful, too. And unbeknownst to all the people uh, that are a party to that transaction, a few days later at the post-election canvas, the entire ballot is void. And that's true for the vote for president. 
that we can all vote on, right? The vote for U.S. senators, statewide offices like governor, citywide offices like mayor. Uh, if you're in the right congressional district, you vote for Congress. So it's an overbroad rule that just punishes voters. And what our data reveals uh, is that it disproportionately uh, impacts uh, communities of color in New York City. We saw more than two-thirds of these ballots emanating out of New York City, uh, which makes up only 42 percent of the voter base. Um, so we think there are societal factors that make it more likely that if you're in a densely populated place and you're more frequent to more likely to move more frequently, more likely to be a renter. Uh, what we saw in the Arizona case and what we also have seen in New York uh, is that those folks are more likely to fall victim to this uh, this lurking technicality. And we know with the Brinovich versus Democratic National Committee case, the U.S. Supreme Court case that was decided this last term, that Arizona went out of its way to say that they're going to pass legislation that would not count those votes. And those votes in, in Arizona were coming from Native Americans who were uh, having their polling places shifted around constantly. And then once again, um, intentionally, those those uh, ballots were not counted. Here you're saying it's unintentional, but the result is the same. The ballot is not being counted. That's right. It's a substantially broad. That's because there's states like New Jersey and California that have, and Massachusetts that have safeguards in place that say there's no reason to void the entire ballot in that situation. So a person can only vote for who they're, uh, who, who they're entitled to vote for, right? The people who represent where they live. But as you go down the ballot from the top to the bottom, especially in a dense place like New York City, most of the offices on the ballot, the person is actually entitled to vote for. So what we're saying is there's no reason to throw out your vote for president or senator or the mayor uh, as long as you're a president of New York City, for example. So if someone is voting for their particular um, congressperson for their district and they're in the wrong polling place and so therefore they can't vote for the person who's running for Congress in another district, but they can vote. And so why strip them of all of that voting power? That makes so much sense. And we're talking with Jared Burke, who, of course, you know, has been with us for many years. He's co-founder of Vote Early New York City, VoteEarlyNYC.org, and former director of New York Democratic Lawyers Council. I want also to, to speak very quickly because I know we're short on time and we do want to get at least one call in from our callers. I want to, to speak about this absentee voting issue. What is going on with that very quickly so i certainly want to make sure that folks are aware uh that that new york voters will be able to vote this year on two voter access questions which will be on our ballot uh it's very exciting we've been working on this for a long time but new yorkers will have the opportunity to vote whether to allow no excuse absentee voting uh in the future so that they won't have to claim an excuse like traveling or uh, fear of contracting or spreading covid They'll also be able to vote on shortening the registration deadline. So right now, you know, it's 25 days. We would be allowed, if that measure were to pass, uh, the legislature would be able to implement one-stop registration and voting, uh, which makes things a lot more convenient for voters. That's on the ballot this fall. And when we have these ballot initiatives, what does it take to pass them? Uh, so... Um, it's, it's, in New York really doesn't have those sort of uh, uh, citizen-led initiatives. So 
Um, it's actually very hard to get these on the ballot. Uh, but basically, it's a, it's a simple majority. Um, and this is on the ballot because it's passed the legislature twice in a row. And now it's on the people uh, to decide whether to vote on it. It's because it's, it's stuck in the state constitution uh, that we have these uh, premature registration deadlines and excuse-based uh, absentee voting. So the move is to change that. That's what the people will vote on this fall. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Jared. And of course, you will come back because we always need to know what's happening in New York State when it comes to our voting rights. Thanks a lot. Happy to do it. Thanks so much. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall, and we want to hear from you. We don't have as much time as we normally do, but we still want to hear from you. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. This is focused only on voting rights and wrongs, voting rights and wrongs. If you're from Texas, I really want to hear from you. We want to know more about your experience having been a part of Texas. Now, no, we're not trying to mess with Texas, but we do want to hear from you if you're in New York or in the tri-state area and want to tell us about your voting experiences in Texas. Once again, we don't have a lot of time, but 212-209-2877, We'll be right back very quickly after this musical break to hear from you, our listeners on WBAI. This is Law of the Land. Um, good morning. Good Our first listener. Yes, yes, good morning. Okay. Uh, I had uh, two questions, and I don't think we'll have time in the you know time we have, but maybe a follow-up show. What is the insufficiency, or why don't the 14th and 15th Amendments protect people from states passing legislature like people are trying to pass in Texas and Arizona? I realize it's a broad question, but maybe I suggest that for a follow-up show. But if you have an answer, you know, could maybe direct me to something, that would be good, too. Okay. I, that's a great uh, question. The 14th Amendment gives citizenship privileges and immunities, due process, and equal protection. The 15th Amendment gives black men the right to vote. That's in 1870, following the Civil War. However, in the Constitution itself, states have the authority to set the qualifications for voting. And so here is now the the conflict. If there is nothing on its face that the states have, have actually drafted or passed as legislation that states that a person who's a citizen cannot vote or that um, a black person cannot vote, if it's not on its face, then they're not violating these constitutional amendments. What we have and the problem we have is they note that when they put these these um, uh, bills in place and these um, voting rights issues, for example, the polling places, it's going to affect particular people in a particular way. So it's the outcome of the legislation that's already been determinative that undermines the voting right. So on its face, it seems neutral, but in its impact and its effect, it's very much discriminatory. And that's why the preclearance clause of the Voting Rights Act that Lyndon Johnson knew was essential was in that act so that whatever the proposed legislation was, it could be examined to determine what those um, discriminatory effects or then discriminatory impact may be. 
So these proposed legislative initiatives are done so with the idea they know the impact is going to undermine voting rights. And so when you're looking at the law on its face, it may seem neutral, but it's very clear what the impact and who this uh, this uh, voter is they're trying to undermine or have their rights suppressed by that legislation. But that was a great question. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. And we have two more callers. But as the, the gentleman said, we're going to have to go back to this in another show. I thank you so much for listening to Law of the Land and especially our, our concern around voting rights shared, not just about the Northeast or New York State, but what's going on across the country, what's going on in places like Texas. We need to understand and appreciate that we're not looking from one election to the next the voting rights war is generational. And that's what I say in my book and all full disclosure. Yes, the title is The Voting Rights War because it is a war and there's battle after battle. And in and, and each time there's some progress made, it's two steps forward and one step back. But you have to make those two steps forward in order for us to gain a foothold in what we claim to be this shining light on the hill of democracy. And so often is an example of what takes place when power is taking over our right to vote with the sense that they just want to remain in power. It's always going to be a conflict over a vision for this country, and that happens in every country, not just this one. So we need to understand that we're in it for the long haul. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. I thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Michael G., for being a great engineer. My guests were fantastic, and I appreciate being able to do this and bring this to you. Please support WBAI and, and be a supporter of Law of the Land. Become a BAI buddy, and let's drink our tea together in the morning, our WBAI mug. All of this I ask uh, because you're generous, supportive people. And you know you've got the power to make a difference. And, of course, I'll see you. You and you. On the radio.